Welcome to the Linked Up Church Podcast. We are passionate about connecting people to God, family, purpose, and community. Today, Minister Johnny Walker comes with a power-packed message entitled, I Must. Get your pen and your pad ready. Let's go into the worship center and hear what God has for us today. The title of this message is, I Must Blank. In other words, you fill in the blank. And let me tell you how that came to be. I actually had another clever title, I thought, right? So the next morning, it it actually happened while I'm brushing my teeth. The Holy Spirit began to reveal things to me. I'm brushing my teeth, looking at myself, mouth wide open, uh, toothpaste falling all down, everything, right? And he said, change the name. Change it to I must fill in the blank. Why? He said, because I am a God of covenant. And when you covenant with me, I hold myself to I must statements. And guess what? I hold you to I must statements. He said, by the end of this message, you will know what your most pressing I must statement is. You will be able to fill in the blank. We're talking about spiritual matters here, right? And then he said this. He said, it's true. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Then he said, my people that have knowledge are destroyed for lack of commitment. Let's go through the introduction. All right, the gospel, we're talking about the book of Matthew. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is the first of the four gospels, right? Four gospels. Let me get that right. Four gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew actually walked with Jesus and gleaned from the master's shared vision and wisdom. Palm Sunday, we know, is next week. However, there is something very crucial about this week, the week leading up to Palm Sunday. So what did Jesus do and why is it so essential to us as believers, okay? So it's during this week that Jesus initiated the final, the beginning of the final chapters of his life. He revealed to the disciples the Father's plan and purpose for his death, burial, and resurrection. Turn with me to Matthew 16. I'm going to read verses 21 through 27. This is, this is my set of foundational scriptures, right? So I'll be referring back to this throughout the message. It reads... From that time forth, right, letting us know this is the next chapter in Jesus' ministry. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how he must go unto Jerusalem. He must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chiefs, chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again on the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There's a progression. There's a formula right there. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. 
For what, what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Verse 27, for the son of man shall come in the glory of his father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. So here we witnessed Jesus' crucial declaration. He declares the father's plan and purpose for his last days, right? First, this is the first time that he reveals that the cross is where he will end up and what he will die on. He's pouring into his disciples. He's preparing them, right, for his impending death. Secondly, he shares the key formula for eternal life. Follow him, he said, right? Those who lose their life for his sake shall find it, right? Die to the world, die to yourself, die to the old man, accept Jesus, follow him, and you shall have life eternal. And then lastly, he imparts what we all know or should know, undoubtedly what is the bedrock of Christianity, that is his resurrection. Without the resurrection, he would just have been a, a good teacher, right? A proficient professor. But we know that he raised, or he, he was raised from the dead. Not only will he be raised, but he said that he will return on the third day. Right? Or he'll be raised on the third day, then after he will return. But when he returns, he'll return from uh, uh, his father in glory, and he'll return with his angels. All right, so let me get into it. My first point is this. Don't get sideways with Christ. Let's look at, go back to verse 22. Then Peter, and I want you to, 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 to look at how descriptive Matthew was. He said, then Peter took him, right? And began to rebuke him. So that's pretty detailed. So Peter grabbed Jesus, the Lord. Uh, he didn't say, let's have a sidebar, Jesus. Let's go over here and talk, Jesus. He snatched him, right? Now, it's plain to see that Peter had a heated disposition. Because the very thing it says is that he rebuked or reprimanded Jesus. And we know Peter has that quick temper, right? Because a couple of weeks from now, he's going to slice off a soldier's ear. But I want you to look at the relationship, Peter to Jesus. Peter was a student. Jesus was the teacher, right? Peter was the pupil. Jesus was the master. It would have been highly inappropriate for a student to speak to the teacher or the master in this type of fashion, to contradict his master, so what happened? Well, the next thing we read is that Jesus turned to Peter and said, Satan, get thee behind. But they teach in Bible school that that is the doctrine of double reference. In other words, where Jesus spoke to uh, a visible being, being Peter, and simultaneously spoke to an invisible being, being Satan. We know Satan to be the accuser of the brethren. So this is what I believe happened. Satan rose up in Peter. When something rises up in you, God is love. And anything that rises up in you outside of love is not God. I want to make that distinction. 
So the enemy rose up in Peter and gave him an enlarged sense of contempt for Jesus. See, feeling a certain way is one thing, but when it manifests in us speaking, when it manifests in us touching, grabbing, snatching, and it's outside the will of God, that's giving, relinquishing to the devil. And I know y'all know what I'm talking about. You're looking at me funny. I know y'all know what I'm talking about. Because everybody know that person. Who is that person? That person that walks in and then you say, I don't know what it is about that person. I, my, your flesh begins to crawl. Your blood begins to boil. Hair stands out on the back of your neck. They get on your last nerve and you want to set it off. Right? But now herein lies, that's all the bait from Satan. That's him rising up, right? And he wants you to manifest it in speech or in action. What you said is, well, I don't know why I don't like the person. Well, that, that's a clue. And let me tell you something else. You might not know this. I may sound smart, but I looked it up. There are over 7 trillion, with a capital T, 7 trillion nerves in the human body. Now, for this person to get on your last nerve, <laughs> in reality, you should have set it off about 6.5 trillion nerves earlier. Let me take that back. All right, I'm taking that back because I don't want somebody to tell Pastor Gregory, Minister Johnny said, set it off. I ain't say set it off. <laughs> Your I must statement is I must walk in love. I must walk in forgiveness. So how many of us really are like Peter, especially when things don't go our way? We get angry. We get upset, right? We get discouraged, and we always look to blame somebody else. The truth of the problem is between our ears. It's our thinking. We think that we are in control. We are never in control. And that is the reality. So Satan likes to piggyback off our emotions. Then we start to chip away at our trust in the Lord. And then it all erupts with overreaction. God is sovereign. He's our sovereign Lord, no doubt about that. He's the commander in chief, all right? And when we realize and accept him for that and accept that he is always in control, that is when we have freedom. It's the truth, right? The truth we know that will make us free. And the truth is, is that God is always in control. Turn with me to Psalms 24, verse 1. It reads, very familiar piece of scripture, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. Elon Musk invented the Tesla, right? 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 It belongs to him. Michael Dell invented Dell computers. They belong to him. Jeff Bezos created Amazon. Belongs to him. Well, guess what? God created the world. It belongs to him. So don't get sideways with Jesus. Let me move to the second point. Be moved by the ways of God. Let's look at verse 23, right? 
It says, but he turned, he being Jesus, and said to Peter, get thee behind Satan, thou art in office unto me. Here we go. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Savorest means to touch, taste, smell what is in, actually what is pleasant. So we see in this scripture that there are two ways of discernment which are in direct opposition of each other. The ways of man and the ways of God. Let's talk about the ways of man. Think about this. Who was Peter to question the plan of God? Just a man. Who are we to question the ways of the Father? We're just men and women. But as men and women, we are self-centered. As men or women, we're often controlled by what we see immediately surrounding us. The adversity, the circumstances, the situations, the problems that are swirling all around us. The Bible says walk by faith, but in reality, walk by faith, not by sight. But in reality, we walk by sight, not by faith. We got it backwards. Here's the point. Don't allow the short-sightedness of the situation to rob you of God's future glory for you. Don't allow the short-sightedness of the situation in the present to rob you of God's glory for your future. Turn with me to Proverbs 14, 12. It reads this way. There is a way which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. See, man may persuade himself to think that he knows what's right and what's wrong. He knows whom his body belongs to. He thinks it belongs to him. He knows the definition of love, think it belongs to him. The truth is, whatever is not God's way will end up, as it says in the scripture, in death and hell. Proverbs 16.2 message reads this way. Humans are satisfied with whatever looks good. God probes for what is good. See, man's ways are superficial and sometimes self-righteous. Clean in our own eyes. But God weighs the true motive of the spirit. Proverbs 21.2, King James Version. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the heart. Every man has a great opinion of himself and of his or her ways. But God tests the heart. Let's look at Job. Now, we all know about Job. Job was devoutly worshipped God. Uh, Job was exposed to what some people may think was unjust pain and suffering. Right? It wore Job down. So much so that Job basically said, God, you are managing the universe improperly. He said, God, you have fell asleep at the wheel. I think Job caught a case of itis. Man-itis. And the man-itis was triggered by someone rising up in him. And we know who that someone was, right? Right? Ask Will Smith. Someone rose up in Job, and Job demanded an explanation from God. 
And I think God does, did the same thing to Job that he does to us today. All right? He's the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. All right? So when we question, God, why am I in this mess? Why would you bring this man into my life? I'm tired of this car. I'm tired of this job. They don't pay me enough for all the work that I do. Right? Even though you agree to work at the place, but that's okay. <laughs> so I believe God is so cool, calm, and collected. So he says, okay. He's talking to all of us. He says, okay. Get it all out. I'll wait till you get through. Are you finished? And then he gives his reply in Job 38, 4 through 11. Let's read it. And when I say, uh, say your name, I want you all to say your name. Okay? And now finally, God answered, say your name. From the eye of the violent storm. And he said, why do you confuse the issue? Why do you talk without knowing what you're talking about? Pull yourself together, say your name. Up on your feet, stand tall. I have some questions for you. And I want some straight answers. Where were you when I created the earth? Tell me since you know so much. Who decided on its size? Certainly you'll know that. Who came up with the blueprints and the measurements? How was its foundation poured and who set the cornerstone? While the morning stars sang in chorus and all angels shouted praise, and who took charge of the ocean when it gushed forth like a baby from the womb? That was me, says God. I wrapped it in soft clouds and tucked it in the safely at night. Then I paid a, paid a playpen for it, a strong playpen so it couldn't run loose and said, stay here, this is your place. Your wild tantrums are confined to this place. So God said, where were you? Think about it. Where were you when he spoke to your boss, gave you that assignment, and you left the job five minutes later than normal because he wanted you to avoid that alcoholic that would have T-boned you at that intersection? Where were you? When he ordained that your organs should still properly work while you dead asleep. Where were you when he told the boss, give that person the promotion? You know you don't have a degree and you don't even look the part. Where were you when he ordained in heaven that he would send out all good and perfect gifts for his people? Where were you when he spoke through generations of your family and said, I want you born in the United States of America and not in a communist country. Where were you when he said, I'm sending down power to destroy yokes, remove burdens, break down strongholds. Where were you? Where were you when he told Jesus, commanded Jesus, go down to the depths, the bowels of hell, beat up that devil, and take keys to death, hell, and the grave. Where were you when he created grace, love, mercy, faith, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, meekness, temperance? Where were you? When Jesus had those stripes laid on his back so that you would be delivered from the curse of the law, where were you? See, from man's limited perspective, Things may seem tragic. We may not understand, but we know that God is in control. See, we, we live in, the, 
We as men and women live in the now, and we know we have a past. God lives in the now, and his now is the past, present, and the future. He lives in eternity, pre-eternity, and post-eternity. He knows it all. We know nothing. I got to tell you, if he can't handle your problems, your problems can't be handled. If he can't save you from him, her, it, them, it, uh, you can't be saved. If he can't give you a way out, there is no way out. If he can't save your marriage, if he can't stop those crazy kids from acting crazy, if he can't instill peace, if he can't encourage hope, if he can't deposit wisdom, if he can't illuminate direction, it can't be done. It is an inescapable reality that we are human. We don't see the big picture. We can't look around the corner. We have finite brains. We have a, a limited line of sight. And all our assessments are narrow. Who are we to question God's competency? Who are we to question God's evaluations? Who are we to question God's choices? Here's a newsflash. You are not God. You might think you're all-knowing. Truth is, you know a little about a little and not a lot about a lot. Let's talk about the ways of God. See, man focuses on man. We focus on ourselves. Jesus focused on all of humanity. Look at what he said. I must go to Jerusalem. I must suffer. I must be killed. And I must be raised. Those are his I must statements. Who says that? Who in, I tell you who says that. Somebody that is committed. Anybody here want to say that? You must go to Power Springs. You must go to Linked Up Church and you must be killed and you must. No. Jesus said that. Those are four dramatic statements. But in reality, Jesus says, no man takes my life. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it back up. If I pray to the Father and said, hey, send down 12 legions of angels, 144,000 angels show up on the spot just like that. So we know Jesus was willing to give his life for us. And he said, if any man will come after him, the man denies himself, take up his cross, and follow Jesus. To come after Jesus means to destroy and deny yourself. These are the prerequisites, basically, for immortality and eternal life. Take up your cross. Follow him. Awfully plain. God says those are your must statements. You must deny yourself. You must accept Jesus, and you must follow the cross if you want eternal life. Let's talk about gain. That's my third point. To gain Christ is a must. I gave three definitions for gain. Gain as a noun means resources or advantage acquired or increased. It means profit. Break it down to one, one word. Uh, gain in the form of a verb, verb means to win one side or to persuade. Interesting about persuade though. Faith, the word faith in Greek is called pistis. 
And in this simplistic definition, it means to persuade. Gaining means to establish a specific relationship with. All right. So when you do something for gain, you're focusing on something you have to do. Have is synonymous with must. So we could say something like this. You must, something you must do or something you are compelled to do. Jesus was compelled to go to Jerusalem to be killed, to suffer, and to die. I want to show you what Paul's must statement is. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Now, so when and I begin reading this, Paul is giving us his pedigree, right? All the good and the bad of his past. Five reads, circumcised the eighth day, and I'm sure he said it with an attitude. I'm of the stock of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Concerning the law, I Pharisee. And concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Concerning righteousness, yeah, which is the law, I'm blameless. But what things are gained to me, these I count as loss for Christ. Here we go, verse 8. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. To gain Christ means to have Christ as gain. All the things of the past, right, all the best and the worst in our past pale into it pale in comparison to the gain of Christ. Now, if you notice, Paul talked about the excellent knowledge of Christ. He didn't talk about mom and daddy's knowledge. He didn't talk about Pastor Gregor's knowledge. He didn't talk about bootleg knowledge. He talked about revelation knowledge he received for himself. And because of that knowledge, this is an I must statement. I have forsaken all those gains in the past so that I may obtain Christ as my gain in the present. To gain Christ is not merely for the sake of seeing Christ. You must see him for the sake of gaining him. Remember, gaining means to establish a specific relationship with. Let me, let me, let me break this down so you really understand it. Um, my wife... Diane is a top-tier expert shopper. <laughs> she rarely ever pays the full price for anything that she buys. So I have watched her when she shop on, shops online. She has a routine. So what she'll do is she'll go through, say she's buying shoes. She'll go through all the pages of shoes. And then she will, once she's exhausted after about three hours, (laughs) she puts, she has 30 shoes in her shopping cart. Okay. That's phase one. Now she has to whittle down the 30 shoes in her shopping cart to five. That's about another hour and a half. That ends phase two. But get this, seeing the shoes is not having the shoes. So then she breaks it down to the most desirable pair. All right, another hour plus it take 15, 20 minutes. 
This is the point. Seeing the shoes is not having the shoes. There is zero gain in not having. Get this. The shoes come at a cost. She must accept a cost to finally gain the shoes. Seeing Christ is not having Christ. There is zero gain in not having. Christ paid the cost to carry your sins. You must accept him to gain heaven. See, for, for, for some of you, Christ is in your shopping cart. You have not said, yes, I accept you. I will follow you. You have not said, yes, you are my must. Remember, we talked about that word persuade, right? Gain in the verb and also faith from, uh, from the word pistis. There are other influences in your shopping cart trying to persuade you. So I wonder... What could be some of the other influences in your shopping cart trying to persuade you? Well, here's one. Jesus knows my heart. (laughs) Of course he does. He's Jesus. But it's one thing for him to know your heart. It's a better thing for you to give him your heart. See, giving him your heart is the must statement, and that equals the gain. Here's another one that may be in your shopping cart. I'm too young. I have plenty of time. You do. I'm too old. It's too late for me. It is. David said, I have been young and I have been old, but I've never seen a righteous forsaken nor a seed begging bread. He said at both extremes of my life, as long as I'm in right standing with God, I'm the head not to tell. I'm above only and cannot be beneath. Everything is thumbs up for me. Maybe this is in your shopping cart. I have trouble believing what the preacher man says. Even though you never go home and research anything for yourself. All that stuff in the Bible can't be true. Raising people from the dead, men walking on water, partner Ed Seas. And you want me to give you my time and join a dream team? You want me to give you 10% of my gross? I give you a George Washington. I give you a few Abraham Lincolns, but that's about it. George Washington, dollar bills, Abraham Lincoln, $5 bills, in case you didn't get that. But in reality, and you could be the best person ever. I mean, just have the sweetest heart and the sweetest disposition. But if you don't believe all of the Bible... You are in the valley of unbelief. Either the Bible is absolute, all of it, or it's obsolete. And that is the worst sin of all, doubting the word of God. Now, I want you to really get this. Rejecting the word of God is rejecting Jesus. Rejecting Jesus is rejecting life in heaven. Rejecting life in heaven is rejecting heaven on earth. 
Rejecting heaven on earth is rejecting God's best for your life. I'm going to say that again. That make me want to dance. All right, now listen. Rejecting the word of God is rejecting Jesus. Rejecting Jesus is rejecting life in heaven. Rejecting life in heaven is rejecting heaven on earth. Rejecting heaven on earth is rejecting God's best for your life. Now, if you didn't get a must statement out of that one, all right. Oh, that clock is rolling. Hey, team, uh, media, I want to uh, add a scripture for the, the people to see. Could you guys flash uh, uh, John 5, verse 24, out of the Passion? John 5, verse 24, out of the Passion. This is not in your notes. Okay, and it reads. It reads. I speak to you in eternal truth. If you embrace my message and believe, now this is Jesus talking, right? I must take it up from the beginning. This is Jesus talking. And he says, I speak to you in eternal truth. If you embrace my message and believe in the one who sent me, you will never face condemnation. In me, you have already passed from the realm of death into eternal life. Jesus says, accept his message and believe. Right? Even when you don't understand the what's, the how's, the who's, trust in the Lord. Now, let's get to Hebrews 12, verse 2, out of the Passion. All right, I'm starting to come into home. And it says, we look away from the natural realm and we focus our attention and expectation unto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this, get this. Because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his. He endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus said, I must endure agony for you. I must conquer humiliation for you. His joy was putting you in a position to be a child of God, a child of the Most High. Jesus is willing to lay down his life so that we would lay down ours. But we're selfish, we're self-centered. Sometimes we're self-righteous. We all have sin. We all have ugliness. Yet Jesus said, I love you enough that I'll take your shame I love you enough. I'll take your humiliation. I love you enough that I will take your agony. You can turn your back on him, but he said he'll never turn his back on you. You can walk away from him, but he said that he'll never walk away from you. Come on, Jesus. There is no mistake under God's son that you cannot be forgiven for. And here's the beauty and the splendor of Jesus. You can come just like you are. 
right? You don't have to change. You don't have to get better. You don't have to put on new clothes. Come as you are. Because there's no profit in the world, right? Because you would have to give up or forfeit your soul. Jesus is your true everlasting reward. That's why he's the truth, the truth, the life, and the way, right? He stays closer than a brother, as we know. And you will be with him from this day through eternity. All right, now let me conclude. How do you react in the face of circumstance and suffering? What is your I must statement? How do you react when led by selfishness, self-centeredness, and self-righteousness? What is your I must statement? Lay down your cross and take up his. A God-centered man follows Christ, and because he follows Christ, he receives all the benefits of the kingdom of God. Here's my final statement. You cannot save yourself. Only Jesus can save you, and that's why he's called the Savior. Amen. Praise God. I trust that this message has touched your heart today. Listen, we don't claim to have all the answers, but we do know one answer, and his name is Jesus Christ. So if you don't have a personal relationship with him today, we want to invite you to do so. Or maybe you had one with him, but you've just gotten away and you're desiring to come back to Christ today. I want to lead you in a simple prayer today. If you would, repeat this after me. Put your hand over your heart and say these words. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that He died, rose from the grave, and He is alive right now. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and save me now. As a result of what I've confessed with my mouth and what I believe in my heart, I am right now born again and in right standing with God. In Jesus' name, praise God. We are so excited for you. We believe that today is the first day of the rest of your life. Congratulations. We are so excited that you made the decision to get connected to God. Thank you for listening today. If this message encouraged or inspired you in any way, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and leave a review too. For past messages, updates, and more, please visit us at linkedupchurch.com or download the Linked Up Church app. You can also watch live services, view past messages, and see our dynamic content for children, youth, and teens on our Facebook and YouTube pages. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Linked Up Church. And if you would like to support more of what we're doing, you can give online at linkedupchurch.com or text Get Connected to 94000. Thanks again for listening. Have an amazing week, and we look forward to connecting with you.